Welcome everybody, the Single Tree Podcast. This is episode 29. We are thrilled to have a very special guest with us today. Her name is Jenny Helms. She's a marriage and family therapist here at Real Life Counseling, and uh, she specializes in treating eating disorders. And uh, so we're really excited to have her uh, very unique perspective um, on the human experience. She works with people um, on shame, their shame and shame resilience, um, which is an idea that we get from Brene Brown, who wrote books like Daring Greatly and Rising Strong and The Gifts of, of Imperfection. And um, it's really become like a cultural phenomenon, her work um, on shame. She's good at uh, just giving language to very common human experiences. Um, and Ginny uses a lot of her work um, and has kind of made it her own as she works with her clients. Um, and uh, yeah, we're excited just to hear from you and, and uh, talk about um, your perspective talk about um, your work with people who struggle with eating disorders. Um, but yeah, that's our topic for today is just shame and shame resilience. So we'll jump in there. Uh, we should probably define for people um, basically what shame is or how we are defining it for these purposes. And then uh, we'll talk about what shame resilience looks like, which is um, how we work with people to help them develop um, yeah, and just combat shame or work with the fact that shame is a part of our everyday lives. So welcome. We're excited you're here. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Thanks for being here. Welcome yeah, again. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so can you define for us what basically what shame is and then we'll move into the, the shame resilience? Yeah. So... Uh, the way that I typically think about shame is that it's the icky, painful feeling of of something meaning that meaning something significant about you, like the "I am a bad person" versus "I did a bad thing," which is more of the guilt version of it. Um, so I like to kind of differentiate that because I think a lot of people it's it's healthy to feel a little bit of guilt after we do things that. I would say are just not in alignment with our true self and that's typically why we feel that way. It's not because we're um, bad people but because there's this part of ourself saying, hey, that's not like you versus shame which tells you this is like you, this is you. Mm. And so shame, shame is what happens when we take these things that we do that aren't in alignment with our true selves and we make that part of our identity. And we start to live life in a way that we think that this is who I am. Um, and that shows up in many different ways. I think that it's really helpful for people to understand that it could look like the thing, well, it typically looks like the thing that we keep in secrecy, that we don't share with people. And so it's hard because there's even parts of it that I feel like at times we don't even really share with ourselves. So we don't even realize that we have it. Um, and you see it a lot in perfectionists and people pleasers who are kind of trying to take their thoughts from themselves and always kind of thinking about what other people want of them. Um, and yeah, so it, it just shows up in many different ways, but I think the main piece that people tend to grab onto is that sense of, you know, 
this is this is who I am. Hmm. This icky thing that I did or I feel is who I am. It's not something I did or just something I'm experiencing. Yeah, that can be a difficult thing for people to separate themselves from, right? So what you're mm-hmm. what you're saying is that in a split second, in an instant, people are failing to to differentiate themselves from the behavior. Instead, they have this feeling that they really are the behavior. Mm-hmm. Is that? Yeah. Okay. So, so that's the internal experience of shame is that feeling, right? Yes. And then the way that it manifests itself, though, is these external kind of reactions against shame, whether that's perfectionism um, or just kind of becoming competitive or even um, just wanting to be successful. That's what it looks like on the outside. Yes. Well, the other thing I think a lot of people turn to are the numbing behaviors. So, like, it could Mm -hmm. look like somebody being competitive, being perfectionistic, but also we just see it a lot in those numbing behaviors. Like, if I feel icky about who I am, I want to numb that. And so it shows up a lot in addiction and eating disorders and people who watch eight hours of Netflix or are workaholics mm-hmm. or there's all sorts of different ways we numb as humans, but definitely like eight hours of Netflix a day. <laughs> yeah. Too, or that's even, too much. Okay. Or even, okay. Maybe every now and then I think it's completely healthy to have like to binge watch something. Yes. I think that's pretty normal. But if you find that you're doing that more often than that being like a every rarity. Day. Yeah. <laughs> Then you might be yeah. numbing something. It could be. Or <laughs> Unless I even it's your think, job. Yeah. <laughs> Unless, it's Unless it's your job. Unless it's your job. Wait, what kind Netflix? of job is that? I don't know. I mean, I've never heard of it, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm sure Possibly. it is. It could be. Maybe. It could be a critic. Right. Yeah. That's true. That's true. I suppose there are jobs around that. So. That sounds like a great job. But you might not be involved in life if you're watching eight hours of Netflix a day. Mm-hmm. No offense, anybody who watches eight hours of Netflix a day. <laughs> but but you might be numbing something. But you might be, yeah. <laughs> um, I definitely think watching TV or Netflix or whatever version of that is, it can be an easy way for people to numb that's sure. accessible. Yeah, and it's sort of like socially acceptable mm-hmm. um, versus other addictions. Yes. Um, so. I think that's what also I would... I would argue happens too with a lot of eating disorders and food mm-hmm. issues that people have. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more accessible and socially acceptable than maybe alcoholism or True. sex addiction or other things that people tend to, I mean, culturally we shame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. So I think you've explained uh, what shame is really well. It's the internal feeling of I am bad. Mm-hmm. It's that icky feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, And Brene Brown would say basically everyone has shame, Mm -hmm. right? Which might be a difficult thing for people to come around to believing um, because some people, there are a lot of people who struggle with what, you know, low self-esteem or um, with their self-worth or even with self-hatred. But there's probably some people (laughs) that... um, don't believe that they struggle with that, that they're kind of okay with themselves or even that they love themselves. Um, so what would you say to those people? Well, it depends because I think that people can kind of um, disassociate from their pain or maybe just not or 
shame or just not even be able to know that they have it because they're so busy um, trying to achieve something or being competitive. Like I think if you talk to somebody who's really successful in their work and they were they were maybe a workaholic, they probably wouldn't be able to be like, oh, maybe I hide sometimes in my work. Because they wouldn't say those words. They wouldn't say I'm hiding in my work because of shame. They would just be like, oh, I'm very successful. I'm very driven. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's tough because I think that for them, they that may be the way that they move through life so that they don't feel these painful feelings. And there's a part of me that can understand, you know, why it would be hard for them to say like, okay, yeah, I'm going to, you know, take a break and feel my feelings. Uh, maybe have a deeper kind of experience emotionally when they've been functioning at that level for so long. Um, and it's, it's a tough sell for somebody who's been living life that way because that's, that's what they know. But it tends, I mean, the thing is, it tends to show up in their relationships. It tends to show up in the family. It tends to show up in other areas, um, how, how that impacts, you know, their family system and then even the culture yeah i i think they might even say you know that they're they are successful and mm -hmm. so they have a sense of worth mm -hmm. that's based on on that right yes um where you know their drive to be successful or you know like we were talking about perfectionism or or competition uh may be sort of driven by shame um it may be a reaction to what if i'm not doing these things um, yes. and so that's how they have become successful and they might even you know indicate somehow that they have worth because they have been successful whereas if they stopped to sort of feel their feelings like you're talking about um, mm -hmm. th they might have some shame that's kind of deep down there yeah well and I think a, a good story that at least really touched me in my therapy experience was when I was working with a client and she was describing her mom and she was saying that her mom was really like she based her worth on how beautiful she was her mom did and her mom was beautiful and how that was actually a bad thing because you know throughout her mom's life that's kind of the thing that she organized her life around and made the center of you know what she did and the repercussions for her as a daughter watching her mom go through her life and just consistently be so preoccupied with maintaining her beauty. And she was like, I think it was a really terrible thing that she was actually beautiful because, mm -hmm. you know, it kind of gave her that reinforcement to continue living her life that way. And she never dealt with anything else. And she never, like, like the, all the other anxieties underneath it, um, she never built or paid attention to all the other wonderful gifts and things she could have been as like a mom and just as a woman and as a person and how much her daughter felt like a sense of sadness and loss for her mom and also in that relationship because again like I think it wasn't until she was older that she was finally starting to work on stuff and grieve and have and deal with her emotional stuff because age had finally been the thing to be like okay you're no longer this you know, cultural idea of beauty. And so it was like a painful process for her mom, but it was finally an awakening of like, okay, now that you can't build your life around this, what else is there, hmm. you know? And so I never really thought about it that way. Like it was, it was just so profound for her to tell me 
and it was terrible that she was beautiful. <laughs> like I was like, whoa, because <laughs> most of the people right. I work with, you know, they're kind of obsessed with that idea of looking a certain way and being beautiful. And this was like the first time I'd heard someone say it was a terrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sometimes we don't really realize that until later on when we see when we've kind of suffered through the consequences of, of that. I mean, we kind of unconsciously adopt some of these ways and these belief systems, not even really consciously knowing that until a little bit further down the road when we're starting to kind of really struggle. And then, you know, hopefully people can find themselves in a reflective place where they can open up to these things and explore it. And that sounds like that's a lot of what you do with with uh, your work with people is help people open up to these unexplored kind of aspects and maybe shine some light on some of these things so that they can have some better understanding. And a lot of it has to do with shame that's kind of been unprocessed or mm-hmm. not looked at. And so that can, you lead people into a really, really delicate scary place mm-hmm. yep i'm basically like let's go down this really scary cave mm-hmm. <laughs> that you've been trust, me. <laughs> yeah. trust me yeah trust me um <laughs> so how yeah you know in leading people to these scary places how over a certain amount of time in your clinical work or even in your own life how has your understanding of shame progressed i mean mm. what's it what's it teaching you as a therapist? Sure. Or as a human, as a human? or either? Hmm. I think that there is... I think there's a lot of things that we don't know as humans that we will store in our bodies or just store in different ways that are unresolved, um, but that we just feel is normal. And so we just continue living our lives that way um, for different reasons. I mean, for not knowing what we don't know, but also, um, yeah, I just think there's a big disconnection between our bodies and our our brain. And I know that sounds really woo-woo, but the more that I've seen things, um, the more I'm curious as to if, if we'd ever be able to really look at how shame that is unresolved exhibits maybe psychosomatically or in different ways with people um i just think there's a huge connection between the body and the mind in that regard when we just don't deal with stuff i also think there's a lot of people living their lives and you know i've even really you know worked on this journey myself um feeling like they like they might think that they have friends and connections and emotional relationships but i wonder if they really experience true belonging um i think there's a lot of that missing for people and i think that's also why a lot of people feel loneliness and depression because you know they connect with people but they don't really show all of themselves to people and so they only feel like people like the parts of them that they show Um, they don't have this knowledge of being like you know i've been able to you know in a and i think a healthy way been able to show my struggles as well in the areas where you know, I have emotional wounds and hurts and needs, you know, and they know me for all the things, all those different parts, 
and they're still connected with me and they still love me and they still care about me. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people live their lives with even, you know, family members being like, they only know this part of me or these parts of me. And so it's really hard to feel like a sense of groundedness in that connection and a sense of belonging because so many people are just acting out of a part or acting out of their parts that they're okay with personally and they think other people are okay with Mm. and so I don't know I just think that it'd be interesting to see you know I feel like over time I'm seeing bits and pieces of how this exhibits because again it's hard to see tangibly the psychosomatic stuff um, or even just systemically how this is affecting our culture that we're all so scared to be ourselves Mm. you know and so it'd be really cool to kind of connect those dots over time. But I feel like in the work that I've done, the more I, I see it, and I'm like, oh, we've got a systemic problem, really, a sure. cultural problem. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as much as we can work on it for ourselves and with our clients to make that change. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be great for us to get in a little bit later about um, how to gain awareness and and I like that idea of, uh, you know, we carry around these things in our body mm-hmm. um, that are unresolved. Um, and, you know, any efforts that we put forth to, you know, gaining a sense of resilience will also play out in our in our physical bodies. Um, but I'd like to kind of hear from you, too, like the difference between that you see between the way that um, males and females experience shame or even um, how it plays itself out in their lives. Um, it'd be good to, to hear from you, um, since you're female and then you work with a lot of females, um, just about the female experience of shame. You, you were mentioning beauty, mm-hmm. um, as a way, you know, that obviously you can experience shame or even be driven toward beauty by shame, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, but yeah, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll, I'll speak to what I at least know of some of the women more like female based issues that we have or ways that shame exhibits. Um, I believe, and I, again, this could happen with men and for some women, this isn't you know true, but mm-hmm. I believe that culturally women tend to take things out on how their body looks more mm-hmm. than males do. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's not always the case, but I think that there is more of, an obsession or an organization of their life around that and feeling like their worthiness is tied to how they look. And also in the sense that this can play out too, um, even in relationships and like sexually where they're like, I need to please other people. I need to think about being desirable for them versus thinking about what is it that I desire? What is it that, you know, I like what am I feeling in this moment they're not even really in touch with their feelings it's more of like how can I please this other person how can I be desirable all the while also carrying the shame of their expectations of being a mom and being like I think it's interesting because we've worked towards like you know women being more equal in the workforce but I think it's only really turned into women being both like a sex goddess, a mom, that's amazing, and like a CEO of a company all in one and like having to pretend like that's an easy thing to do slash not like crazy to do. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And so I think that like the the modern day version that I'm seeing of this is women just feeling the shame of like if they're a stay at home mom feeling like, well, I'm supposed to be working too. Or if they're working like, oh, I'm not a good enough mom. And all the while, do I look good enough while I'm doing this? You know, so it's just like a it's a combination of a lot of different things. Um, I think it exhibits in different ways in that regard too, where women tend to be more obsessive and try to seek control around their body and food um, and how they look because women do tend to be the ones that even, you know, plastic surgery wise, it's, I think 90 something percent are women. Um, And so, yeah, I think they, and I think they also exhibit it more in trying to be, um, it's interesting. I think women, (laughs) a lot of women try not to be what would be considered like a can i say cuss words is that okay okay like a bitch um so they're always trying to be like a boss but also a nice boss that like doesn't you know hurt anybody's feelings and says it in a in a bow like wraps it in a bow and i just think that there's more of a pressure for women to feel that sense of um i want to do big things but i also have to think about how i do them more than I think that men feel. And I don't know what you guys think about. I would love to hear more of the male perspective around shame and how you think that shows up. I mean, I would would agree with you that probably, at least in my observations, that I think it's easier for men to navigate the world, maybe even probably the professional world, and not have to worry about being mm, soft or tender, you know. Uh, I, I think it's, the task is probably a little bit easier. You know, women maybe do have to worry about being soft and tender or being the good girl as in, a com- in a competitive environment. And that's paradoxical, mm-hmm. right? That, that's, that's an added, pressure that's that's difficult that's difficult um yeah i don't think i don't think men have to do that as much i mean maybe men have to you know they think about being nice or diplomatic but that's different than than being soft tender you know yes i think those are that's that's it's a more complex thing to have to navigate than just being nice or or diplomatic very that's very different Mm -hmm. yeah on the other hand i think males can experience shame around not being you know the alpha dog you know or or not being aggressive enough um you know especially around being weak um you know the the alpha dog or the alpha male in any given situation is kind of the prototype for what it's like to be male so um if you fall short of that then um, you can experience shame around that or even if you're not a traditional or typical male and you have sensitivities where you are kind to people or or warm or um or tender then there can also be shame around that for men Mm -hmm. well and i think that i also see it play out in you know women on the other side being having that expectation as well 
having that expectation of they're supposed to be this X, Y, and Z, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're supposed to be masculine in the way that we define it as a culture. And um, so I think it gets perpetuated from both sides where it's interesting because women can be like, well, I want to be treated this way. And then they don't look at how they're also kind of perpetuating certain dynamics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I mean, and I think that this goes on on both sides, men and women, but sometimes women can say, well, I want someone that's tough and masculine, but then I want them to be very soft and mm-hmm. extremely vulnerable. But if they are, then that sometimes can challenge a woman's sense of safety when the man is presenting this vulnerability. It's very difficult and that can be tricky and I think it happens on both both sides but it's you know I think we still have a lot to learn about and understand um, about how shame works in, in couple relationships mm-hmm. as well it's also an interesting layer I agree when I think that probably kind of um, gives some language to even you know, why differentiation is so important or that sense of uh, the strong sense of self, because I think, you know, culturally we have a lot of people who aren't differentiated or don't have a very strong sense of themselves and feel like they need their partner to complement them in certain ways where they don't want to kind of grow themselves. And um, I mean, myself included, this has been a concept that I, that has really radically changed the way that I've looked at relationships the last few years or so. But I definitely think that there's shame wrapped in that too, absolutely. And it kind of unintentionally perpetuates that cycle um, because it's it's the idea of having these expectations of people being something than they're not, like other than what they are. Yeah. And that's kind of where shame is too, is like I'm supposed to be something that I'm not. Yeah, I, th- I think culturally we're learning a lot of lessons about shame that maybe in other generations they didn't have maybe even the luxury to yeah. learn about because they were more survival based yes or, but now we have as a culture really an opportunity to kind of open up to it and i think we are and we're learning a lot about this relatively unknown kind of or repressed or rejected human experience um it's really interesting to kind of just watch and talk to other people about it and yeah it's sort of it's sort of unavoidable there's always these standards that we measure ourselves against which is you know whether it's the rules of the system or the cultural expectations or the norms about what it means to be male or female and anytime we measure ourselves against those we always at some points come up wanting and so and then that's not okay you know we experience shame about that mm-hmm. um, so it's it's the most natural thing in the world and that's you know why Brene Brown would say that everyone experiences it on some level to some degree mm-hmm. um, so I think it I think it would be great just to talk about like how people can gain awareness of it in themselves um, you talked about it kind of living in our bodies. Um, and so, you know, if people are open to this idea that they might be experiencing shame in some ways, are there some practices that they can use to 
gain more awareness of how they're experiencing it? Um, well, I think of like kind of some of the practices that she's talked about and then other people have talked about as well with like shame resilience and the first thing being, you know, I, this isn't necessarily a practice, but maybe a, a mind shift that um, being strong doesn't mean not talking about your feelings and that being strong is vulnerability and, and it, it is crying, it is, you know, experiencing hard emotions and and being more sensitive and anxious and all those different things that I think people try to run from um, it's changing that definition because I think culturally and even you know in the family that I was raised in it was you know you're strong if you don't cry and if you don't have any complaints and if you um, just do everything right and so allowing yourself to to see yourself as strong when you are being vulnerable and when you are are experiencing pain and talking about the hard stuff, I think is the first step because if we can't even, if we can't change that, like we're not gonna go there. Like as a kid, I would have not gone, I would not go there because it wasn't, it wasn't safe to go and it meant that I was weak, right? And so I think the first thing would be changing that definition. Um, and understanding that there is power and strength. You know, you talked about, or a little bit earlier, you were talking about a sense of people don't like to get into shame because of that sense of powerlessness, um, but that there is strength and power in being able to to be vulnerable. And to, and to ex- yeah, to, to explore your, your powerlessness. Yeah. yeah, to explore your powerlessness. <clears throat> yeah. so, so Brene Brown talks about vulnerability as kind of the antidote to all of this shame in our culture and, and just for ourselves personally so that's that is kind of a practice mm-hmm. there is a practice of being vulnerable um, so as a as a practice you as a person as as a, an individual would have to gain awareness of the ways that you're protecting yourself from vulnerability mm-hmm. right whatever those are it might be competition or it might be an eating disorder it may be um, just your moves or maneuvers to avoid ever experiencing any of those soft emotions, especially when other people are around, mm-hmm. right? Um, so there's probably a million ways that pe- that we protect <laughs> ourselves from those feelings those of vulnerability. Yes. Um, but that's the practice, right? Is to enter into vulnerability on purpose, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So looking for opportunities to do that. Yes, and I would say just noticing for yourself, gaining an awareness of what are the things that I tend to avoid about myself or try to numb or don't talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what are the things, what are the moments in my life where I tend to isolate more and not for a sense of like self-care, but just for a sense of like, I just don't feel like I can be around people right now because those are the moments that are typically um there's some sort of shame involved. And so even if you can't readily identify exactly what it is, you can just say like, wow, I'm starting to really disconnect myself right now. Like what's, what's going on here, you know, and developing that awareness. Or, you know, if you find yourself feeling an emotion then immediately shutting it down or turning to like alcohol um, or whatever numbing behavior, then that would be a good opportunity to explore, okay, what is it that I'm what is it that I'm running from? 
Um, yeah. What is a way that someone could do that? Because I, you know, I think about, you know, someone just kind of out there on their own trying to be open about their emotions more often, which is a good yes. practice. Yeah. Right. But, um, you know, sometimes it takes a little extra help or even someone else to help you like identify and give you a perspective on what the ways that you are being self-protective and then even providing a safe space for you to do that. So that's kind of what you try to help people do in therapy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Just giving them an opportunity to do that and and encouraging them to do that. And, <laughs> but, yes. But you practice that in your own life too. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. With help you've been able to... Um, be able to find ways to do that yes all the time right <laughs> well i try to do it <laughs> often <laughs> yeah but. maybe you don't have to do it a hundred percent of the time but. i don't know that it's it's good to do all the time i think that there is something some wisdom to that but um yeah i mean i would say even in my own life like i've been able to kind of notice my own patterns by the things that i avoid or um so for instance i'm not a huge fan of public speaking. I know that there's many people that struggle with that and that's, there's something normal about that. But, um, those are some of the moments that I start to notice myself isolating or, or avoiding certain opportunities that I could do and leaning into that can be really difficult, but I've noticed that pattern in myself and it's not that I'm necessarily leaning into all the opportunities that I can, but I've, I've been able to explore that more because I'm like, Oh, there's something about that here with me. There's something about public speaking where I feel a sense of self-protection or shame, and um, and it's harder for me to come out and just be be myself because I'm I'm happy to do one-on-one speaking with people. I love that, um, but then it's like put me in front of a bunch of people, and all of a sudden there's there's stuff in my body that starts to come out. You know, and so I think just being aware of, of even moments like that in our lives where we're like, hmm, there's, there's maybe something to that, you know? Yeah. So uh, vulnerability, I think, you know, Brene Brown talks about this too. It's not being 100% transparent mm-hmm. at all times, right? Mm-hmm. That's not yeah. actually. So <laughs> I, I just want to be clear about that because that's not what we're talking about mm-hmm. here. We're talking about probably purposeful and intentional vulnerability in the right circumstances not just like going out in the street and telling every stranger that you meet um, everything about yourself (laughs) wait you don't do that (laughs) yeah i i do that but it's not healthy yeah no yeah well and i kind of i try to with clients i explain that too in the sense that this is where it's important for you to understand you know your intention behind it but also like who you're safe people are um, because I don't think it is safe to unfortunately to tell everybody all your stuff like there's not a ton of emotionally safe people which um, there are different things that define that and if you want to go into that we can talk about it but um, but when you find those people that you are close to that in a, in a way have earned the right to hear your story and and you being able to connect with them I think that's important mm-hmm. um, or being vulnerable at certain times when it, like what you said, it, it's purposeful. 
but that doesn't mean that you have to tell everybody when you're having a bad day or stuff's going on, but at least that you're sharing that with somebody close to you mm -hmm. who, who has earned the right to hear your story. Mm. And it's appropriate to that relationship. Yes. So let's, uh, you said, you know, that we kind of carry shame around in our bodies. So I'd like to get to that. It, you know, if you uh, can say any specific ways that that, that you think that happens um, and then maybe we can get into some of the ways that um, shame manifests itself in eating disorders mm -hmm. and uh, kind of what can be done about that. But Okay, so, you know, I think it's still something that I'm discovering and learning more about, but I will speak from my own experience because I could, I could talk about clients, but I'm trying to keep it more about, you know, we're talking about vulnerability, so yeah. understanding that. Um, for me, at least, when I when I did have an eating disorder, um, which was back in high school for about four years, I my one of the functions of my eating disorder was definitely to numb emotion and to try to get myself into this like rigid schedule so I I could be good enough because I felt like the person I was before was really yucky and gross and not good enough and. Some of that had to do with my um, religious beliefs at that time, feeling like I wasn't living up to them and that I was just like a horrible, sinful, <laughs> awful person. And, and that's not necessarily because of that religion itself. I, I mean, at least I don't want to put it on there, but at least the way that I interpreted it at that time. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I was in a very legalistic type of religion where, you know, if you, it was really hard to follow all the rules, honestly. Mm -hmm. And so part of, part of my, my delving into that and like storing it in my body was a sense of if I can control my body and I can control this piece, then I don't have to feel certain emotions and I can see myself as being like clean and pure and good enough in that regard. Um, and I definitely felt like it felt that way and over time what I didn't realize was happening as well was because of what I was physically doing I almost ad got addicted to like the physical part of it because I didn't feel I didn't feel a lot of emotions no highs or lows which was weird for me <laughs> especially as a teen because you know you have emotions and you have highs and lows but there was something very um safe about that at the time because I didn't know what to do with my highs and lows that it was a lot safer for me to be in the eating disorder than to be out of it because to take me away from that I felt was like someone saying hey you're gonna be emotionally crazy again and not have any resources or any way to deal with this and this is something bad about you that was not a good option no <laughs> I was like no at I, the time, yeah. I'm really good at doing what I'm doing right now and I I feel like my emotions are gone and this is great. <laughs> this is, <laughs> it was this working. is good. It was working, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it wasn't something that I was um, wanting to give up. But yeah, I felt like in that sense, I was kind of trying to change how, what I was experiencing in my body. And that was the way that I could continue um, not feeling shame. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. So when I started reconnecting with my body, it really sucked because I had to experience all the emotions again. Interesting, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and that was really tough. It was really tough. So there might be some people out there experiencing something very similar that they're doing all the numbing and, and uh, you know, maybe competing and perfectionism 
um, who might be doing that for the very same reason, right? Mm -hmm. And so what would you tell someone, (laughs) you know, it doesn't feel like a good option to reconnect with my body and all the crazy things that I feel um, and maybe even the shame Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So what what would you tell someone who's, you know, realizes that that they're doing some of the same things um, to avoid those experiences? To avoid it. Um, I mean, I think that the only way that I was able to get through that journey was to to have an example in my life like through my therapist at the time and maybe some other people that they had done that work they had they had gone to dark places with themselves um, and they were able to tell me that it was okay and like be a support in that Um, and the other piece of it is just having a sense of faith that like on the other end it's worth going through all of that because mm-hmm. when you're in it, it feels so painful and scary that it's like, what? You know, I get why people don't want to go there. I right. totally get it because I didn't for a really long time. Right. Um, but having somebody like as an example can be very helpful mm-hmm. in in helping. I think for me, at least, helping me keep that faith in those moments where I was like, why? Why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Why am I? going through all this hard stuff if it's not going to actually make my life better or make me um, feel a sense of peace at the end of the day. What did you find on the other side of it? Um, I mean, I feel like I was able to finally like know myself better and accept parts of myself that I had written. Like the story originally was that I was a bad person or that these were shameful parts but I was able to kind of accept and incorporate into into being a whole person um, I found my voice again I found things I liked I started to think about more um, of what I wanted to do in life and you know what I thought about things and my desires versus what other people thought about me and it was very it was just a different way of seeing life and a different way of um moving through life where i feel like i wasn't always like having to obsess over different things or be so rigid in my um rituals so i don't know it was it was definitely scary and i think that for me it was going through the phase of like experiencing the emotions and that was a longer phase but it was a lot of surrender. It was a lot of this, like I felt like I had let go of that sense of wanting power and control and ego. And <laughs> I wish I could say it was like a really positive experience while I was going through it. But when I was going through it, it was kind of just like, fine, <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> it wasn't like I wanted to do it. I was just kind of like, fine, I'll finally do it. And then, um, yeah, on the other side, I I just I just became me again. I don't know if that makes any sense, but makes a lot of um, sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. So so having gone through it, you wouldn't go back. No. That no. Sounds not like at your all. your life being sort of guided by shame. Yeah. You know, it resulted in all these sort of compulsive behaviors that were maybe robbing you of feeling like yourself. Mm-hmm. You felt like you were someone else's or something and Yeah. Um, yeah, you were just kind of a slave to it or something. I mean, there were 
is there's a specifically some moments that I remember when I was like in a really struggling place that I literally felt like I was almost watching myself or completely disconnected from my body. Like it was mm. the weirdest experience. Um, so I didn't, yeah, it was not connected to me at all. And to be able to see the, at least the idea of me, um, to be able to love parts of myself again and to even have some acceptance for those parts that were wounded and hurting. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just like, it was just such a relief. I don't know. To be, to be back in your body again, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and feel like yourself. Yes. That's great. Is that something that you see often with um, people who are struggling with eating disorders? Yes. Just being out of their body and... Well, definitely that shame around, I've got these parts of myself that I'm trying to control or hide or, or not accept. And as they move through the recovery process, they're able to accept them and integrate them into like who they are. And so, and understand them too. Like I think that, you know, originally they just like label them and they're like, this is a bad part of me. And as they start to kind of understand their context, they have empathy for it. And even like I had a client, Hmm. this sounds really funny. We were kind of doing a little bit of a twist on parts work and she had her depression part. She got this stuffed animal and she's like, this is my depression. And uh, she was able to look at it and be like, you know, I have a lot of empathy for this part. And I can, you know, it was, she was able to like see it in a different way Mm -hmm. when she like kind of externalized it and, and just really explored it in a different way than how she originally, you know, sees her depression. And so... It's like she was able to integrate instead of keep something that was really a deep internal experience fragmented, right? Mm-hmm. It's This is a, about you help. It seems like you help people integrate these aspects of themselves to have, you know, a whole and more robust experience instead of this fragmented kind of experience in the world then or with themselves even yeah so do you do you see them reach that point that you were talking about where it's sort of like they need to go into the tunnel and you know they're going to experience these difficult things reconnecting with their depression or with their shame or those you know those icky feelings um do you see them reach that point and then how do you sort of like guide them them through that? You talked about that a little bit. I mean, it's, it's just kind of like walking into the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. And what do you find with the people who are able to like push themselves to do that and the people who maybe are still yet not able to do that? Um, are there factors that that help them to, to do that? Or is it kind of like it just kind of depends on where they're at in life yeah yeah Yeah. I you know I'm not gonna say that everybody's recovery looks exactly like that um but what I what I have noticed is um you know for some of the clients that I've I recently see like going through that and like going through their own journey and and they're in a good space at the moment um or at least they're in it you know they they seem to have um again, some sort of surrender or acceptance kind of phase. And so mine was very much like, I was so stubborn about keeping my eating disorder. So I really feel like I had a lot of heartbreak in my life that caused me to kind of think the thought, well, I'm 
so heartbroken already, like might as well bring on the depression and anxiety and all the painful feelings, Hmm. you know? Um, I don't think everybody's necessarily like that, but one of my, one of my clients, it was definitely a moment of her being able to accept some of her grief that she was currently experiencing and had experienced and what her parents couldn't give her um, and what she was wanting from them. And so that was kind of, it was almost this journey of her becoming a stronger sense of self that had finally enabled her to, to, you know, take that step for herself where she was finally like, okay, fine. If I accept, cause it was like, if I accept this then I have to grieve it. And she had had a lot of grief. She's actually lost a parent. And so, you know, for her to have to accept the grief with the other parent, you know, I can understand her being like, no, <laughs> I want this to change, you know? And so I think for that person, part of their journey was being able to say, okay, that's, that's who they are and that's what they can give me. Mm. And I, I'm going to grieve that because I, I, wished it could, I wish it could be different but I'm going to love them where they're at and be okay with that, you know? And so, yeah. And so I think she's, I mean, she's amazing, but <laughs> I think mm-hmm. most of my clients are just awesome people. Um, but yeah, my understanding of it is probably some sort of weird combination of surrender and building that sense of self. Uh-huh. That's great. Yeah. So it's, it, it sounds like your work is, um, you know, hearing about it, it's just to, encourage and help people to to have the courage to to walk through and into those dark places in in their lives um and be willing to surrender which you know that's maybe the best way to explain it right it's not it's not a science you know and it's something that you have to reach kind of deep down into yourself to be able to discover and that's it's great to hear about your work helping people do that yeah, I wish it was a science sometimes because it is so <laughs> yeah. woo that even for me, I'm like, oh man, I can't like tangibly explain this all the time or like, you know, make a chart and help people uh-huh. understand it fully. But having experienced it yourself, like, yeah. you know, you know that that's the only way to really do it, right? And just sort of like being with people at those points um, and coming alongside them and sort of like walking into it with them is the way that you can you know so if you hadn't gone through it yourself then Mm -hmm. it would be really hard to like tell people how to do it obviously or or even to encourage them and think make them think that was a good idea so that's That's cool that you've you know connected your own story with it and are able to help people through that so yeah it's awesome to hear about yeah thank you thanks for being with us today thanks for coming yeah thank you we appreciate your appreciate your insight and your your wisdom about it thanks for joining us everyone we look forward to hearing from your from you any feedback that you have or questions and you can find jenny here at real life counseling um and we'll talk to you soon